Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. But let's get into Final Destination. Kristen and I had many conversations on what to call this title. In fact, she is the one that came with the idea of Final Destination. I was thinking the end. What's it going to be like when it ends? But she said Final Destination, and I was like, there's like a movie with that, I believe, a few years ago. It had like multiple think, parts. Yeah. I never seen one. I think I watched one of them. Yeah. I think I was in high school. No, these things came out like in 2010, I swear I think I was in high school when it came out. There was one that came back on back in the late 90s, Maybe too. Maybe so. But I think it was a scary movie. They're all scary. Are they scary? All the, the one I watched was. Really? Well, I don't watch scary movies. Might be one know. of the last scary movies I ever watched. Yeah. Okay. I don't All do right. scary. I like, I'm scary. <laughs> I like funny, nice, and war action. Let's, let's get going. <laughs> All right. Tonight, we are talking about Final Destination. It's week two. Last week, we talked about heaven, and we answered some huge questions like, do we immediately go to heaven when we die? Of course, yes. The, who, will we, who will be in heaven? Uh, of course, the people that give their heart to God. That you know God, what question we didn't answer? What question? Will pets be in heaven? Well... I have two dogs that will be in heaven. I've had a pets before. I don't think I'll make it. But the two dogs I got are in heaven. I, the Bible doesn't really give a definitive. It doesn't say thy pets shall go to heaven or anything but like that. But the lion will lay down the lamb. But there are animals in heaven. Yeah, I, I think so. I do. I really believe that. Why would God allow such beautiful creatures to be in the earth and not be in heaven? So. Yeah. Um, I love my puppies. That's our theology, and we're sticking to it. Yeah, I mean, I've met some of your animals, possibly. That They're I don't not, know, they might not be there. They might not be there, but mine's <laughs> definitely going. All right, let's let's go. But we talked about who's going to be in heaven. We also talked about who will know who we will know in heaven. Of mm-hmm. course, we believe that we're going to know people as they've known, and they're going to know us as we've known. I believe that we're going to meet people that's went on. I can't wait to sit down with some of the old saints that I've known personally. Um, do we have emotions? Of course, God has emotions. Yeah. There's emotions shown in heaven in Revelation 6. Uh, will we remember our lives on earth? Well, in Revelation 6, they did. The martyrs remembered. So you need to go back and listen to part one. It's on YouTube, or you go back to this time last week on Facebook. But we're going to continue to answer some questions uh, in, in certain ways over the next few weeks, because next week we're going to talk about how can a loving God send anyone to hell. Those are going to be questions we answer next week. But this week, we want to talk about the description of hell. Now, a lot of people stray away from the message of heaven and hell. Yeah. In fact, more people stray away from hell than they will heaven. And that's sad. And it's very sad. But the Bible refers to hell 167 times and describes it as a real place with eternal torment. Jesus considered the topic of hell important so much that he taught about it 33 times. Now, that's talking about it a lot. And what, that we know about. Yeah, that we know about. That's because there's some John, the Gospel of John says there's yeah. so many works that Jesus did that all the books of the world would not feel all the works that he did and the message he's taught. So what we read, we've only seen 33 times. I'm sure he talked about it a lot more, but that's all that was penned. In three and a half years. In three and a half years, which is almost once a month. Yeah. So uh, why would he do that? Why would Jesus talk about it as a monthly message? I know if I was a pastor and I preached about it once a month, People might not want to come to church, but it depends how I preach it. Do I preach it like I want people to go there, or do I preach it like I want people to get out? Jesus preached it in a way. He was so filled with compassion, and he desired people to be in such relationship with him, he did not want them to go to this place. Because, we'll talk about next week, but I have to tell them this. Hell is only created for Satan and the fallen angels. Which we'll talk about again here in a second. Yeah, we'll talk about it again, but we're going to talk about it a lot next week as well. But it was only created for that. So really listen to that. Humanity was created only for heaven. Right. God never created one human to go to hell. Everybody has the opportunity to go to heaven. So I have to hit that. The Bible talks about hell 167 times, yet pastors, theologians, even denominations are distancing themselves from the message of hell or denying the existence of it. And according to one survey, 71% of seminary students in the United States that uh, do not believe in a literal hell or heaven. 
that's eight leading seminaries, actually. The eight leading seminaries, those students do not believe in a literal heaven or hell. So in the eight most leading seminaries that we find, people's not preaching crazy. heaven or hell. Now, look at this. At the latest survey, uh, actually a survey from 2011, 35% of Baptists, 54% of Methodists, and 65% of the Episcopalian church do not believe in a literal hell. That's like mind-blowing to me. So here's the problem. If you don't believe in hell, you can't believe in heaven. Right. Because Jesus and the Bible teach about both. In fact, if you don't believe in hell, then you really don't believe in what Jesus said. Because he's mentioned it 33 times. And then you don't believe in the Bible because the Bible talks about 167 times. In my opinion, to deny hell is to, die, to deny Jesus Christ and the scriptures. Now, there's four groups of people that, that do not believe in hell. First one is atheists. Atheists do not believe in hell but because they say they don't even believe in God. They, they believe we evolved from nothing. That once we die, we cease to exist. But some people believe that it's impossible to be an atheist. Because the human mind only accesses 2%, a really smart person only accesses 2% of all their intelligence, knowledge. of all knowledge. So that means 98% your brain cannot access. So that, are you saying that... And that's if you're the smartest person that's in the if world. You're 98% of the knowledge you don't know. So what you're saying is I access maybe a percent? No, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyways... You did. <laughs> But the anyways, for I don't believe, or many people believe that there's no way you'd be an atheist. They believe that you'd be an agnostic. They say they don't know if there is a God. They actually make the claim, I've not known him yet. I've not came in a relationship with him. I, 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 and I'm not even sure if I've even searched out like I should. But to say there's no God would mean that you have all knowledge, that you access 100% of right. knowledge from your brain. But the Bible says only a fool says there is no God. And then you got the annihilationists. Annihilationists, that's <laughs> it. They believe that the saved go to heaven and the unsaved are annihilated or cease to exist. Some believe that when people are sent to hell that the annihilationists believe that as soon as they go to hell they are annihilated, they are destroyed. They, they really depict that from a scripture that says that they are destroyed. And that's the only scripture that really says it that way. So they build a whole theology or thought around that. Uh, one scripture. May I tell you, you need more than one scripture to build a theology. Uh, you need a lot of scripture to build right. theology and backing it up. Um, the next one, it would be the ultimate reconciliationist. They believe those who go to hell are punished and purified by God. But then they believe that eventually everyone, including the fallen angels, including Satan, are reconciled to God and hell becomes empty. And the Bible never says that uh, in that manner. So, anyways, I don't even know where they get that. I don't. I, that there's that is just an ideal. That's what you call idealist and ideal, idealism. Uh, it really is. You're right. And then this is one. This is new for our our area, but it's entering our our area. Yeah. Is what we would call universalists. They believe every person goes to heaven. They believe that no matter what, everybody, regardless of lifestyle, moral choices, uh, in other words, whether Hitler, Stalin, or terrorists, I'm not saying they didn't make it to heaven, but I'm just saying, even if they chose, I don't want you, God, they're still going to heaven. And if you, with your own free will, make a decision to never serve God and say, God, I don't want you, the universal says no matter what your thought is. The extreme universalist. There's yeah, probably the extreme. people who... Teeter on some other of they that, too. They may. They may. Universal. That's like in its most extreme form. Yeah, and, and they, the, the extreme universalists believe you can pray to multiple gods, too. Uh, but they take free will out of question, and they manipulate what they want to build what they have. Right. It just depends what end of universalism that you look into. Yeah. But Luke 16, Jesus tells us about hell. Now, I'm about ready to break down a true story. This is not a parable. It's not a simile. But Jesus says there's a certain rich man, person, and there's a certain beggar that has a name, and his name's Lazarus. Not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the grave, but this is a different Lazarus. So in Luke 16, there's parables, but then all of a sudden Jesus leaves the parables, 
And he goes and he tells a real story. And then he even mentions Abraham. I'm talking about the seed of Abraham, that Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that Abraham. So he's telling a real story and referring to real people. So here we go in Luke 16. We're going to read this story. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores. So there you go. You hear his name. Name's Lazarus. Who lay at the gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham is the real reference of Father Abraham. Then it goes on to say, The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, which is the Greek word for hell, mm -hmm. so they throw in the Greek word there, which I don't understand why they just don't say hell there. Some versions say hell, Some I versions think. do, but they threw in the Greek word Hades, which actually means hell. And he lifted up his eyes, he saw Abraham afar, and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that we may dip the tip of his finger, that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water, cool my tongue, for I am tormented and in this flame. Now, notice he said tormented, and notice he said flame. Jesus describes hell as torment and flame. Torment is mentioned four times just in this passage. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, but you are tormented. So there's the word tormented again. And besides all this between us, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass here to, to you <clears throat> cannot, nor those that come uh, there to pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they come to this place of torment. There we read it again. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets to let them hear to let hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Now, notice that word torment. We've seen it four times. Notice the word flame is there as well. And Jesus describes hell as a place of torment and flame. So there's not a party going on. There's not, I'm going to just talk to the baddest people that ever walked the earth and hang out with. There's no hanging out in hell. It is complete torment and flame. Now, this ends all debates about hell because Jesus refers to a specific man who is in hell. He's talking about a person that is literally in hell. He's telling their story. And it's a place of fire. And the New Testament refers to this place of fire 32 times. In fact, it says, like this, lake of is what it will say. Talking about the lake of fire. Or it will say everlasting fire. Or eternal fire. Or unquenchable fire. Jesus himself refers to hell as fire 19 times. I don't think you can argue that. There's so much there. Uh, it also ends the debate of whether hell is a real place of torment. Because in verses 23, and what I just read to you, out of Luke 16, verses 23, 24, 25, and 28, all describe hell as a place of torment. And remember, Jesus is talking not about a parable, not about wishful thinking. He is talking about a real story. And that word torment in the Greek has three meanings. The first one is acute pain from de debilitating disease. The other one is intense fire hot enough to melt gold. That's hot. And then the third one is a rack of torture. Rack of torture was invented sometime before Jesus would ever have said this with all these sharp objects around it. And when they would put someone to death, they would take their body, stretch them out, and the more they would stretch them, the closer their body would get to the sharp objects until the sharp objects would pierce their body far, far enough to kill them. So now we've talked about the description, and now we're going to discern a few things of what happens to a person in hell. So we can look at this passage of Scripture and see a lot about what a person experiences. You know, last week we talked about emotion. We did. And that in, in heaven we experience emotion. Well, based on this story, apparently we also, people who are in hell experience emotion as well, which is something I guess 
I never thought of until we talked about it with heaven. But we're going to look at three things really quickly that someone who goes to hell may experience. And this is not an easy thing to even teach. It's, it's hard. It's tough. It's a tough message to even discuss because it's, you know, as he said, there are people in this world who, are, who deny its existence altogether. And the reason why is because it's a tough message to preach. It, it is. It is not a favorable word. And really, I think that your part coming up is a little bit tougher than mine. It is. It is. It's tough. I give you the tougher part. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah. So he desires comfort. The first thing that happens to a person when they go to hell is he desires comfort. And we get this from verse 24. It says, talking of the rich man, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Notice that the rich man here asks only for a drop of water. He doesn't ask for a cup of water. He doesn't ask for a bucket of water. He asks for just a drop. And he doesn't even ask for him to dip his whole finger into it. Just the tip. So this man is so tortured that he seeks just a drop for satisfaction. So he is desiring comfort. And Scotty mentioned a second ago, hell was never created for humanity. It was never its intent to begin with. And I want to give you some scripture for that. Isaiah 14 actually talks about the fall of Lucifer from heaven. And in fact, the whole text here that I'm taking from in verse four, or in chapter 14 is actually addressed to Lucifer. That's right. And it says in verse 15 that you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. And he mentioned the word Hades, which is the Greek word for hell. Sheol is the Hebrew word describing hell. That's right. So this passage is saying that Lucifer, because of his rebellion, would be cast down into the lowest parts of hell, which tells us hell actually has parts, by the way, which we won't talk about. But Matthew 25, 41 says, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This coming from Jesus himself. And it goes, so it goes on in Matthew here to tell us that hell, the everlasting fire, was prepared for the devil and for the fallen angels who fell from heaven with him. Isaiah 5.14, it says this, Therefore Sheol, once again hell, has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Hell was not created for you. The only beings that God ever intended to go there was Satan and his, his fallen angels. And because it was never intended for you to go there, the the fact that people reject the free gift of salvation means that hell had to widen itself. It had to actually enlarge its borders because it had to make room for the people who deny God. It's a terrible thought. It's a terrible thought because it was never meant for humanity. Jesus did not prepare hell for you, but he did prepare heaven for you. That's right. So John 14, 2 says, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. That place is heaven. And we talked about that last week. He never intended anyone to have to go to hell. And we'll talk more about that next week as well. So number one is he desires comfort. I had to look back at my point. It's okay. <laughs> number two is that he expresses concern. This rich man immediately asks to send Lazarus to his brothers. So he's expressing concern here for the people he left behind. Isn't that something? It's amazing. So he's expressing concern for those left behind and says, Hey, will you send Lazarus to warn, to warn my family that they don't want to come here? Five brothers. So... I would say that every single person in hell has had this thought. I wish I could tell somebody. I wish I could tell somebody. Could you imagine the preaching that goes on in hell? Yeah, no doubt. 
So, and then how many people wonder, why didn't my family tell me about this place? Such an ugly thought. It's a terrible thought. I don't like talking about it. I don't either. But he immediately realizes, I don't want my loved ones here. I don't want them here. This is terrible. Hmm. So the third thing is that he seeks consolation. This man is so tormented that he's grasping for straws to even find consolation. He tried to convince himself that if someone would just raise from the dead and go, and his family and his loved ones would see that, that it would convince them not to go to hell. Wow. And the crazy thing here is Abraham's response when he says, just send, light, just send someone, raise them from the dead. Then my, fa- my family will believe. But his, his, the response from Abraham was, if they wouldn't hear, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, then they're not going to be persuaded even if someone raises from the grave. Now think about this. Moses and the prophets, what was he talking about? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. That's right. And every other book in the Bible was in the Old Testament was written by prophets. So basically, Abraham said, if they don't, because you have to think, there was no New Testament at this point. That's right. So if they don't believe the Bible, then they're not going to believe if somebody raises from the grave either. And we know this is a foreshadowing of what's to come. That's right. Because Jesus did do that. Jesus eventually, he rose from the grave. He's telling this story and he is about to be crucified and to be raised from the grave. And think about this. Do you realize there is more historical evidence? This is some apologetics. There is more historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is a lot of other things that people believe. Think about this. Christopher Columbus discovered America. No, he did not. But most all of the world believes that Christopher Columbus discovered North America. When in fact, Leif Erikson, who was a Viking, he landed in Canada 500 years before Christopher Columbus ever set foot on North American soil. Yet most people believe that Christopher Columbus discovered America. And when you read history books, you know, he's given credit for discovering America. Another thing, think about this. Ever heard the the story about George Washington and the cherry tree? It says yes. George Washington cut down the cherry tree and then he went to his dad and his dad said, did you cut it down? And he said, I cannot tell a lie. Well, that's actually a lie too. Because there was never a cherry tree cut down by George Washington as a kid. That was actually a, it was a story developed by a a biographer that studied George Washington's life to just as a portrayal of the kind of character that he had. Wow. Yet, I would say most people in the United States believe that George Washington said, I cannot tell a lie. You don't have to convince them otherwise. But people, even though there's more historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, people are more, a lot of people are more likely to believe those other things than they are the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is what Abraham is saying to the rich man. He's saying, hey, if they're not going to believe what is already right in front of them that speaks it, then they're not going to believe it if somebody rose from the grave either. And Jesus did just that. And just like Abraham said, people still don't believe. It was a prophetic moment. Very big. Very big. A lot to take in. And once again, I mean, it's just, this is not even a message that I'm totally, I, I totally believe it. It's a message that I'm not thrilled to even talk about. But people are interested. It's uncomfortable. It's a very uncomfortable setting because I don't want to see no one deny Christ. Right. Or no one to say, no, I don't want to receive you as Savior. Right. Because it and gives then, everybody opportunity. And then on the flip side of that, you're thinking, I don't like to talk about this. But people need to know. 
I think what gets me, and this kind of, not, not rabbit trailing, but people try to dismiss the message of hell by having human logic. And human logic sounds very good. Mm-hmm. But you cannot have human logic and biblical uh, mix, biblical stances mixed. Yeah. Either you're biblical, and human logic don't matter, no matter how good it sounds. Yeah. Doesn't matter unless you have biblical proof. Right. It's very true. And if you're going to create a doctrine on your own, I mean, why not create one without that you don't have to preach this? A lot of people would like to attend that church. I mean, it's sad. Yeah. So that is what someone may experience in hell. And in addition to that, we're also going to talk a little bit about what the Bible says hell is like. Um, And this text that Scotty read to us can be confusing if you don't understand the fact that this is describing the state of hell before Jesus rose from the dead. Yes. Before Jesus died, everyone who believed God and was a God follower went to this place of holding. It was like a waiting place. Yes. And there are people today who still feel like that that is the case. They do. They still believe that, even though he released them. Right. So what happened at this point is there were two divisions of hell that were separated by a great gulf, is what the text said that, that you read. That's right. And you had on one side hell, which was a place of torment. That's right. And then on the other side, you had a place that was known as Abraham's bosom. Why? I don't know the answer to that question. But it was a place of waiting for everyone who died before Jesus came. And remember, and here's the thing too, the people there had to accept the fact that Jesus died. They did. They had to to hear the gospel. They had to hear the gospel. So remember this. When Jesus died, he was dead for three days. Yes. He wasn't just laying, his body wasn't just laying in a tomb. During those three days. Why didn't God wait three days? Well, because there were some things that had to be done. And one of those things that had to be done and the missions that he had was that he had to ascend down into hell and he also had to ascend down into Abraham's bosom before, or he had to descend before he could ascend. That's right. I got that mixed up. But... He had to go down into hell and release the people from Abraham's bosom so that they could go to heaven. Doesn't it make sense, though, that when Jesus was resurrected, mm-hmm. that it says that the, the old saints were spotted all over Jerusalem? I never thought of that. Uh, and, and no doubt, he preached to them in Abraham's bosom. That means Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. Nathan the prophet, I can go on all day, Samson, all that served God, the old saints had to say, forgive us of our sins Mm -hmm. and say, I believe upon you. You're the son of God. But no doubt, they knew so much, there was so much revelation down in Abraham's bosom with Isaiah and the prophets. They're like, well, I know we're dead, we're here, but God's sending his son one day. And can you imagine the, the state down there, while you're, you're talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of these people, David, who prophesied of this Savior to come. He's, I mean, you And they're watching it happen. They're watching it happen. And the thing is, there was a gulf, but they could hear one another from hell Apparently, to Abraham's bosom. Based on this story, yeah. Based on this story, there was conversation. So when Jesus came and preached the gospel, I believe, with all my heart, they all heard of it once. Yeah. And could you imagine what kind of message that was? And what type of rejoicing was on one side? And the other side Not so much. was just torment. It's sad to think. And so he had to lead them into paradise. And even Jesus said to the thief, you mentioned this as well. Um, I don't know if it was this week or last, it was last week. week. But it said in the Bible that when Jesus told the thief that today, today, you will be with me. Yeah, that's right. You will be with me in paradise. So this is the state of hell at that time. There is also a future hell that the Bible talks about that is after the second coming of Christ. And it tells us some things about this place that we need to understand. 
Now think about this. There are two physical properties in this world that help us maintain our mental stability. Yes. One of those is light. Yes. You know, think about this. I, remember when we went to Ruby Falls? Yes, in Chattanooga. We went to Ruby Falls in Chattanooga. If you've never been there, it's really cool. It's the place I'd like to go and take Ethan. Ethan wasn't with us during that time. But there is a point in that, and it may be this way with other caves as well, but there's a point on that tour before they show you this giant waterfall from the middle of nowhere where they turn every single light off and they allow you to experience utter darkness. It is total darkness. It's what total darkness is. You couldn't even see your hand flash for your face. I mean, I'm sure that's the way a coal miner feels. Yeah, and they even told us that they could only do it for so long. Yes. Because it would start to affect your eyesight permanently and those types of things. But light is what kind of, kind of allows us to keep our bearings. You know, even it says, you, you talk about people who are blind. A lot of people who are even totally blind can tell the difference when you turn off a light and when you turn it back on. They, don't, they can't see stuff, but they can tell the difference between darkness and light. A lot of them can. Yes, they can. So if we can see where we're going, we can kind of find our way around. That's or, right. You know? Think about this. There is no light in hell. No. Matthew 8, 12 describes hell as a place of utter blackness, utter darkness. Which means blackness. Total blackness. Yes. So no matter how hard you try to adjust your eyes in hell, you'll never be able to see. You won't be able to see another person. And I know we just read this story about the rich man and, and Lazarus, but we're talking about that was pre-Jesus here. We're talking about eternal hell after Jesus comes back. And think about this. Heaven doesn't have a light source like a sun the way that earth does. And the Bible even says that it needs no light because Jesus is the light. Well, in hell, there is no presence of God. So there is no light. It is utter darkness. The second physical property that helps us stay mentally stable is solid. And that sounds kind of funny, but think about this. Being able to touch things or hold on to things keeps us mentally stable. That's right. Again, even if you're blind and you can't see and you do see total darkness, you can still feel your way around. That's right. You know? So this idea that I can sit on something or I can lean against something, that helps us with our mental stability. That's right. And if you go to Revelation chapters 9, 11, 17, and 20, all of these describe hell as a bottomless pit. That's a lot of scripture. Yeah, a bottomless pit. You can never touch anything. You can never sit. You can never stand. You are suspended away from everything, every person in total darkness. And then you throw in the idea of eternal flame. You know, flames don't always mean light. The hottest flames are the least orange. It's true. So there, those are two physical properties that help us maintain our mental stability. There are also two emotional properties that help us maintain our mental stability here in this life. And one of those is rest. You know, rest, you can look at as a physical property, but re true rest is really an emotional thing. Think about it. I mean, you can be on your couch for 12 hours a day and be physically resting, or you can be laying down and going to bed at night and be physically resting, but your mind is not. I feel I do that a lot. To have that mental rest. And I'll tell you this, talking about rest and mental stability, this has been a couple years ago. I was going through this. I was just really busy. Um, we were trying to get homeschool ministry opened up, and we had, I had all kinds of other things going on, and we had been gone all summer. Like, it was just, it was, it was a hard summer. And I remember 
I was not sleeping. I mean, I would be here at the church, Val and I would be here until 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning. It was insane. I mean, we're insane. Val and I are just insane. But it was crazy. And I was, I was so proud of myself because I was holding up, you know. And then, and then, one day I went to the grocery store and I pulled into the driveway. And when I pulled in the driveway, opened the bed of my truck to get my groceries out, my groceries had slid to the back of the truck. And I was also sore because we had been painting, right? And it was that one, it was my groceries that sent me over the edge. And it wasn't really the groceries. You know, I've totally had an emo a mental, emotional meltdown in my driveway because my groceries had slid to the back of the truck. <laughs> but it had nothing to do with my groceries. It was the fact that I had no rest. And we are not emotionally stable when we are not rested. That's so true because there's been times I went weeks without rest. Yeah. True rest. And that's the thing that we talk about in the presence of God, that there is that rest. There in is place. that rest. When the world's got calamity, a moment in his presence is rest. And that's yeah. what heaven is. What heaven is. is total rest. Though you may not sleep in heaven, I'm not saying you do or don't, but you have total rest. Yeah. Revelation 14, 11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. In hell there is no rest. The second thing we have here on earth that helps us be emotionally stable is hope. Here on earth, we always have hope that it can get better. That's right. And in hell, there is no hope. And you know, this is another tough... Someone who makes the choice to take their own life have been convinced and deceived by the devil that it is, that it is true on earth what really is true in hell. Because in hell there is no hope. On this earth, I have good news. We always have hope on this earth because we always have the opportunity to turn to God. In eternity, you don't have that. So in hell, you no longer have that option. Hell is the only place that is hopeless that exists. So it doesn't matter what situation you may be in in your life, you have hope because God is here. So you have no rest, you have no hope, you have no solid anything, and you have no rest or have no light. No light. That is not a good place to be. It doesn't sound like a party to me. It really hurts. It hurts. It's very hurtful. Yeah, I don't, I, I have to say, I'm heavily burdened to even talk about this subject right now. Yeah, it's awful. So Jesus uses, this is where it gets even worse. So Jesus uses a word to describe hell that no person had ever used before. And he used the word Gehenna. It doesn't say that in your Bible. You have to look that up in the original text. And the Jewish people would have understood what he meant by that. And it's, a very, it's actually a place. It is a very specific valley that is just south of the city of Jerusalem. And if you look at this in the Old Testament, this valley is called Hinnom. And the word Gehenna literally means valley of Hinnom. And you may even recognize that from, from the Bible. And it was significant in the book of Chronicles and in the book of Jeremiah. They both mention this. And, you know, we all know God was constantly warning his people, stay away from idol worship. Don't do what the pagans do. You need to follow me and don't look at those things. Don't do those things. But unfortunately, there were seasons and there were times when God's people did not follow through with that end of the bargain. 
unfortunately. You know, we see even the people at the bottom of the mountain when Moses delivered yes. them, they started building golden calves. I mean, people didn't always follow that rule. And one of these such occasions, they adopted this practice that is hard for me to even think about, let alone talk about. And it was a practice that was done by the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. And they, these people, these cultures, actually practiced human sacrifice. Yeah. Believe it, there are still people in the world today that practice human sacrifice. Yeah, there is. And one of, specifically, their children. And they would sacrifice their children to the god Moloch. Is that how you say his yeah, name? it's Moloch. Moloch. And we see in the Bible two of Israel's kings, Ahaz and Manasseh, mm -hmm. both sacrificed their children to Moloch. And they done this in the valley of Hinnom. That's where this, in Chronicles and in Jeremiah, that's what it's referring to. And afterward, you know, years later, what ended up happening is in this valley of Hinnom, which became known as Gehenna, there was a continual fire that consistently burned there in that valley. And it was used, it became used to burn the filth of the city. They burned human waste. They burned anything that they didn't want just laying around. They took to this fire that was constantly burning, and they burned it. And they used this to burn dead animals when they died, um, sometimes executed criminals, people who could not afford a burial. So this was a place that because of all of those things, there was a constant smell of burning flesh. And in Jesus' teaching, he uses this word, Gehenna, for hell, seven times in five different passages of Scripture. And when he used this word specifically, it sent the minds of all of the people who heard it to this place. The smell of flesh. The smell of burning flesh. And many theologians actually believe that the phrase that he used, that, and you see this used in many places throughout the Bible, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, hmm. that it was referencing what occurred during these human sacrifices in the valley of Hinnom. And this is how Jesus described hell to his people. And, you know, as gruesome and heartbreaking and gut-wrenching as that is, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was trying desperately to get across to these people, I don't want you to go here. That's right. He mentioned it five times, and I just now thought that's grace, the number of grace. Hmm. I think five passages of Scripture. Five passages of Scripture mentioned just that twice. Yeah. That he kept telling them out of compassion. Jesus never preached this message no. in hate or and, anger. It was, And that's where a lot of ministers and people mess up. I mean, this is not a message of hate. Um, at all. You no. know, just like our end times teaching series that you just done. It is not a message of hopelessness. It's a message of hope. Of encouragement. Of encouragement. Yeah. Because as hard as it is to talk about, the harsh reality is, is it's there. It's there. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. But the beauty of it is, is that you don't have to go there. You don't have to. No, there's a plan in place. If you don't mind, I'll tell this story. This is a story I've heard for years. Whether it's true or not, I like the story. Pastor preached for nine straight months on hell. Church got mad, voted him out. And the next pastor comes in, they voted him in, and for three weeks he preaches on hell and can't figure it out. 
And the difference was for that church is the reason why they didn't like the pastor had done it for nine months and they voted him out is because he preached it like he wanted them to go there. Mm -hmm. But they loved the message of the new guy because he was preaching as if he did not want them to go. Jesus told us about the end times and told us about our final destination, told us about life after death. The real life is eternal life. Yeah. One way or another, life it, is eternal. It's eternal. So he's telling us so we don't have to go. And then the motivation behind this is people don't know that they don't have to go there unless we tell them. It's good. I mean, that is the hope of the gospel. That is. And it is our job to share that. And it's, a, it's, it's heavy, you know. I said in our last study that the more you know about heaven, the more you want to encourage the people that you love to go there. That's right. And I also said this leading into what we just discussed is the more you know about hell, the more motivated that we should be to tell people they don't have to. And the amazing, you know, the there are so many miracles that the Bible talks about and so many things that Jesus done. But never one time in Scripture have I seen rejoicing in heaven over any one of those miracles. But the Bible does say that there is rejoicing in the presence of angels when one soul goes to repentance. That means the cloud of witnesses we talked about last yeah. week. They are rejoicing over one person coming to know Jesus. And that is the greatest miracle. But it's also the simplest to receive, I feel like. It is the simplest to receive. But it seems like that people's mindset is on something else besides the harvest or salvation or leading people to the Lord. Yeah. Getting people a relationship with Christ is the main thing. And the main thing we need people to know is that God wants relationship in spite of yourself, right? of where you've been, what you've done. Uh, people say, well, the church fall in when I come in. No, it won't. You can say that be funny. I don't think it's funny because church won't. God is looking to receive whosoever will. Yeah. Whoever the, will believe the message and come to him. The Bible says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know, it, it's, ele it's elementary, and it's something that I've taught. I was never taught this as a kid. I wish I was. I may have given my heart to the Lord sooner. But it's as easy as A, B, C. Except or admit the fact that you are a sinner, that you sin, that you miss the mark. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again and confess that you want him to be the Lord of your life. And that is it. Yeah, so admit, believe, confess. And that is that simple. And that is all that it takes to, as we say, to change your address. Yeah, from hell to heaven. And the most significant remark of tonight, if we can take takeaways from tonight, is God created heaven with every person that's ever breathed there in the earth in mind. Yeah. He never created hell for humanity. He created that for Satan and the fallen angels which we call demonic forces yeah. and spiritual wickedness. And we talked about how hell has expanded its borders and continues to do so yeah. because people continue to say no. The Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. Right. He just comes like this. He says, I'm here. Then you receive Christ. But he don't come and shake you and push you and, and shove you and force you. Right. But he comes and he just simply, simply weighs on you. And you make a decision. And he's a gentleman. You say no, he's just going to gently 
pull back. So if you feel the Lord deal with you tonight, just simply say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart. Make a difference. Let us know about it. Message us on the Facebook page or message us on one of the links that we posted that you can get to through YouTube, Periscope, Facebook. Uh, through the prayer request, you can get a hold of us or fill out the I have decided. Let us know that you've decided to follow Jesus and change your life. Right. So, heavy message tonight. One that we didn't want to really talk about. And honestly, didn't want to talk about it. So you gave me the hard part. So I gave you the hard part. But I think it's a whole lot weightier to get up here and do it. Oh, yeah. Than to even prepare. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just a very difficult night for us as ministers because this is not a message you just teach or preach just because you want to. It's not a subject we took. It's something we prayed about. So we know the Lord's in it. And we know the anointing is going to be felt through it and that people's going to get the message because we heard from God to do it on this time. Right. That's the main thing. Well, listen, you've done such an awesome job teaching your part. Won't you close us out in prayer? Absolutely. All right. Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have gone on to prepare a place for us. I thank you that you love us more than our hearts can even comprehend and that your desire is to spend eternity with each and every one of us. God, I pray right now for all of those that are listening. God, I pray that, that you will move everyone's heart in one way or another, God, that you will make us as believers motivated to spread your gospel and to tell about your love and to tell about your mercy. And God, those who may be listening who don't have a relationship with you, God, let them hear your love and let them hear that you are a loving Father who adores their their innermost being with everything that you are and that you want to spend eternity with Him. That God, regardless of our stance with you, God, draw our hearts to you because that that is the message of the gospel. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.